The views and opinions expressed by guests on Connected do not necessarily reflect those of Side Street Studio Arts. Episodes may contain adult language. everyone and welcome to Connected. This is the podcast from Side Street Studio Arts where we talk to members of our arts community. Uh, my name is Erin Rayberg and I'm one of the founders and executive directors of Side Street and I am joined today by a repeat guest. I'm go- I'm, I've talked to everyone in the world and now I'm back to Rachel. <laughs> no, I'm talking to Rachel again because a wonderful show is coming up at Side Street that she has proposed and curated and we want to hear all about it. Rachel, who are you? <laughs> oh my you don't remember gosh. our OG chat. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's kind of a loaded question with this show, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I first encountered Side Street about seven or eight years ago when I was the artist in residence. Um, and I just kind of stuck around and I'm excited to be contributing to this in a curatorial sort of way because I've done music and visual arts and all sorts of things at Side Street and now I get to uh, not make quite so much stuff and I get to elevate other artists and the things they do. And I don't think this is your first time curating a show, right? You weren't just like, this is a new thing I want to try. You've done this before, haven't you? You're right. And I've completely lost that from my memory until you just said it. Um, but, but when I was working with Side Street, um, I brought in uh, Jacob Van Loon, who's a really uh, incredibly skilled and um, interesting and curious uh, painter and pen and ink artist. And then uh, I also created a show with uh, Doug Hansen, his photography. And that was a ton of fun because for those of you who don't know, Doug Hansen is specializes in a lot of antique and unusual processes. And I got to just spend a lot of time picking out really interesting snapshots and casual things and um, create sort of a, a different selection of his work than normally shows. Yeah, those are two really great shows from our past. And uh, this one is, you know, Doug is, of course, more local and Jacob was East Coast. Is that right? Am I? At the time he was based in DeKalb, actually, but I don't know where he is right now. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, and so pulling from farther away and, and uh, nearer in um, is part of that cur- curatorial process. And I kind of want to give away a big honking secret because I think curating sounds like a big fancy word. Um, when in fact, it's just making an experience that I think a lot of people are doing right now as they prepare for holidays, right? They're like cleaning their home and planning a meal and like making sure they're presenting a world that will invite people in, um, you know, in different ways and curating can be as small as making the room around you what you want it to be. And as large as producing a music festival, right? And so um, is that, uh, that's how I view curating, is creating uh, um, an environment. Is that how you view curating? 
That's a really interesting way of thinking about it because that's how I think about a lot of things is like, what is the experience and what is the feeling of the person who's in this thing? Like, even with things like when I have, you know, a music recital or, you know, um, I'm kind of into feng shui, right? This idea of like your environment creating a certain experience and things like, okay, like where do they start? Like, what is, what does the program look like? Where do they go do this thing and that? And I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about curating because so much, especially from an artist perspective is focused on the actual objects, the actual material itself. Yeah. And since you bring up the holidays, you know, I used to work in design for uh, Crate and Barrel. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of things like, first of all, literally just designing like product displays and like, where does the customer's eye go? And, you know, like things like, oh, we have low inventory, like let's move this so that they see it first and we can sell out of it. Two things like creating a living room, creating a table setting. It's really a, a piece of creative work that I think a lot of people engage in without realizing. Yeah, I, I really agree. And as like every conversation I have trying to be like, we are all artists, we are all creatives without trying to <laughs> shove that down people's throat as much as I really want to. But that idea of curation, again, I feel like the word sounds so lofty, but many of us, in fact, I think all of us are kind of doing it every day in some way, shape or form. Um, yeah. And the, like the interesting thing. So I first started thinking about this show actually literally a year ago <laughs> and it's finally happening, which is really exciting. But when I first had the idea, it was a solo show and I was like, okay, well, I'm thinking about maybe doing some video and these paintings and all those sorts of things. And then I was, as I was reflecting on the concept, just other artists kept popping into my mind. And I think that's, you know, to speak more broadly of creativity, right? It's just imagining what the connections and the relationships could be. Imagining something that doesn't yet exist. And as I've, as you and I have discussed before, um, you know, in that regard, absolutely everything we do is creative. Writing a legal brief is creative, right? Starting a business is literally creative. Bringing something that doesn't yet exist into the world. And even though it doesn't feel like that, like right before I came on here, I was writing marketing copy, right? Like sometimes it's kind of boring or strange or very specific, right? All of that is a creative practice. Well, you are talking about bringing artists in, which feels in direct contradiction to the title of the show, which is selfish. So if you talk about the starting point, which was in your own brain and soul, but then it immediately jumped out of that, um, but the title remains selfish, what's the evolution for this idea? Yeah, so this idea, self-ish, self-ish, um, came out of a, sort of a lot of different things um, at the end of last year. You know, I teach meditation and there's a concept in Buddhism um, which is literally translated emptiness. And it's not really a great English word for it. Essentially what it means is that because things are always changing, right? Because nothing itself is permanent, any object, especially people, right? Are inherently empty of any constancy. 
So like <laughs> obviously very heady, right? But this idea of emptiness, right? It's not really a great word for it. What I would call it is changingness, you know, <laughs> something silly like that. Um, and, and so especially during the pandemic, right? To bring it back to the pandemic, um, <laughs> what we discovered about ourselves is that, oh, maybe I'm not the person who's like the joker at the office, you know, or who am I now that I'm not in this same old situation, that I'm in a different job, that I'm with or without my kids all day, that like, like all of these things, which are activities, performances, which are what all these activities that we do throughout the day, those are the things that compose who we are. And now that so many of them have changed and continue to change, who is it that remains? You know, the Buddhist answer, of course, would be no one, you don't exist. Like that's an illusion, right? <laughs> but, but what we're doing, right, is, you know, an explosion of online presence, right? Changing the way we dress, the way we think about ourselves, the way we engage with other people, right? So that was a big factor in this, like, this, you know, who do we think of as ourselves? And one of the sort of conclusions of that, right, is that anything that we do, anything that we perform, any action we take is only kind of an ish version of who we are in an interior way, right? However we think of ourselves, we're constantly putting out some other version of that for the benefit of other people, for the benefit of ourselves inside, right? To remind us who we are or to sort of convince ourselves of who we are, right? And all of those different things make up that, to be real corny about it, like that mosaic, right? Of that version of you. So that, that changingness, especially regarding the pandemic, you know, this time last year was a huge spike in cases. Everything was virtual, like new lockdowns, stuff like that. And so it was like, wow, like all of these things, these mirrors, these people that I bounce off of, these social situations where I feel comfortable, all of these are different now. And how do I reconcile that with that idea of composing those into who I am? And so that, that, um, you know, I was reading and learning a lot about um, gender, a lot about those, uh, you know, sort of more inherent um, identity kind of questions that are really socially changing a lot right now. And um, just reflecting and being like alone in my house. <laughs> and then as I started thinking about those things, then I was like, oh, yeah, like, this photographer, Bill Ellis, like, oh, it's exactly what it is. Oh, like Kate Roberts, like perfect. You know, like all of these other people started coming to mind. And one of the aspects that, that I really appreciate now thinking about this show and actually seeing the art and imagining how it's going to be placed is that the experience, right, of going into the gallery is not just going to be experiencing my personal ideas about this concept of self, but you're actually going to have sort of a feeling of touring multiple people's inner worlds. And that might be jarring, that might be interesting. You might linger in one or find one strange, right? But all of that, again, is part of that, who am I in relation to this thing and in relation to this person? Um, so it's a very uh, weird, <laughs> complex experience we're going for. 
tiny side note, I'm a big fan of living in the ish, like from a time I'm going to be somewhere to thoughts about sexuality, right. To how I want my food cooked. Right. I mean, from the deep, important, soulful topics to, you know, what I'm going to wear each day, living in that ish area. I don't, especially through the timeline you're talking about, uh, people who may have fallen in some sort of black and white land, I just can't even fathom anymore. I can't fathom anything being black and white. So ish feels like a very appropriate slogan, if you will, for our day and age. <laughs> yes. And I'm kind of amazed. Like one of the things which is an exercise in me not needing to control things, right? But like one of the, one of the things I think about and thought about for the first six, eight months of the pandemic and continue every day to think about is like, there is so much that we could have learned and grown from and experienced and been willing to experience and to feel during this time. And so many people have outright refuse to do that. Like so many people have just doubled down on their existing beliefs and needs and patterns and habits and have not um, been, you know, soft enough to learn and experience and change. It, it, from things like, like you can be uncomfortable for 10 minutes and wear a mask to things like, you know, I mean, big cosmic ideas and all of these things about global connectedness and, 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 and all of those things that affect each other, right? There are so many things we could have done here, um, but that hardening, that black and whiteness, uh, it kind of baffles me. When we experience discomfort and when things get shaken up, that's the instinct, right? That's the impulse is to yeah. double down and stay where you are. But um, it's just a little sad to me. I know now that I don't need to like, force people to learn and grow and change. I can't, it's impossible, but it's, you know, one of the things that was very important in my music education as a kid was being able to work in ambiguity, right? And knowing that there are rights and wrongs for every single thing and being able to explore and be comfortable in that. So for this show, bringing that ish, you're kind of steering me away from maybe my gut reaction to what could be a room of self-portraits done during lockdown, right? Is, is, are we going to see a room full of self-portraits and variations thereof? Or, or what are we going to see in this show? That's a really great question. Um, there are self-portraits. And the way that I will expound on that is that the way that we represent ourselves, right, which is to say the way that we make a portrait of ourselves is not always visual. And it's not always just a figurative representation. So the one of the first artists who came to mind for this is the uh, New York based photographer Bill Ellis, who's a great guy, good friend of mine. Um, and he does a lot of very um, snapshot spontaneous type photography. And one of the things that I love about his work and one of the themes that you will see on the wall in December is he uses a lot of shadows and a lot of um, 
a lot of self-portraits and he does it in a way that's very unusual. There's a great series of him on, uh, on the trains in New York and all you can see, he's looking out into the distance and you can see his hand holding on to the, to the bar or the, you know, the loop at the top, that sort of thing. It's a way of placing yourself in the world where a photographer typically is framed as an observer, right? But what Bill is doing is documenting himself in this world that he's observing. So there'll be photos where there's light behind him and you can see the shadow of him on the floor and you can see his arms holding the camera. Or there'll be self-portraits that he takes with the, um, the shutter bulb. And you can see him, unlike most photographers, right? When they do a remote trigger, they try to hide it so that it looks more spontaneous. You can see the long cable and you can see him holding the bulb, right? It's, an, it's a way of saying, this is where I am positioned and this is where I fit in. Um, you know, Brian Garbrecht, uh, a photographer based uh, nearby and a multimedia artist, one of the reasons I reached out to him is because he works with Polaroids, which have that similar spontaneity. And he's teaching a really great workshop on some uh, Polaroid techniques called emulsion lifts um, on December 5th. But he did an entire series, a body of work about his adoption. And so this idea, again, of representing myself, right? And with adoption, you know, myself not knowing that process and from either end, right? This finding of oneself, of locating oneself in relation to other people, right? So there's this, yes, there's this self-portraiture, but it's very much um, ambiguous. A lot of the self-portraiture in this work describes processes or questions. Jamie Tubbs, who's a Chicago-based artist, um, I reached out to her because she does a lot of work around the process of religion and leaving the religion in which she was raised. So she's got this beautiful, huge textile piece that's sitting in my living room right now. <laughs> it's waiting to come into the gallery. And it's very much about um, a process of dealing with those things, but there's not a single figurative image on it. And I think this is one of the big, um, the big ideas of this show is that the way that we represent ourselves or the way that we think about ourselves, right? Is often not specifically a human thing, you know? It describes actions, how I, how I relate to my husband or my partner, right? How I work, the type of work that I do, right? And those actions are what comprise this identity as a whole. I have 500 things to say. <laughs> I obviously do too. <laughs> My first is going back to photography and uh, just a conversation I often like to instigate because I've seen it or heard it unfold in the gallery multiple times uh, uh, from the philosophies of photographers. I remember one time seeing Lance Long and Roberto Martinez having an argument of in the same second, if we both took a picture of the exact same thing from the same settings on the same angle, it would be the same picture. And one saying it wouldn't be, and one saying it was, would be, right? And the scientist of the two saying, yes, it would be. And the artist of the two being like, never, it never would be. So I, I think about that conversation 
uh, speaking of living in the ish, because I don't know what which direction to walk, but thinking about those photographers and how in whatever moment they capture, that moment is a fact that happened, right? Unless they're manipulating the scene, right? Or, or afterwards with technology, that is a moment that, that truly happened that clearly they were a part of, um, and is such an, an interesting juxtaposition to maybe a textile artist that, it is so much greater than one moment and ex- expressing itself in such a, in such a different way. Um, and so putting those two in the same show uh, around um, a similar theme is really exciting to think about. I think one of the things, you know, talking about curating, curating an experience or, or building an experience for the viewer, right? That's a really interesting uh, comment about Lance and Berto, um, <laughs> because like, it, you know, there's an aspect of photography that is very documentary, observational, that kind of thing, right? And it, it has the potential to be very straightforward, right? And being a photojournalist is different from being a product photographer, is different from being a fine art photographer or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But my, my perspective, whenever I'm, whether it's making visual art, whether it's creating, you know, an entire gallery full or creating an experience like a concert, right? My perspective has always, or for a long time has been that the audience or the viewer is like 50% of the whole art, <laughs> you know? So it's, so it's a, a bit of a disservice, right? For people to say, oh, well, this is my thing. And, you know, that's, that's it. Like I made the thing and now here you go. Right. Because, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it. Right. (laughs) You know, so this, this idea of photography as being um, a collaboration or a conversation is really interesting to me. And that's why I think self-portraiture is very interesting because it's lit, you know, the, the photographer is the creator they are the subject. They are often looking at you, the viewer, in that experience. And it creates a real, um, it can be uncomfortable. It creates a real ish type of environment. I love thinking about, <laughs> thinking about, not doing anything about it, I guess. <laughs> I love thinking about the idea of self-portraiture because I don't know that any of us can truly see ourselves, right? And can anyone else, right? And so from how you choose to represent yourself, um, whether it be that hand on the subway, you know, pole um, to a literal selfie to, you know, all of these ideas, again, to a textile piece, it's just super fascinating to me. And I love seeing the work of people I feel I know well and is self-referential, right? Um, Because I might get something new from them and our personal relationship. And then I think about self-portraiture from those who I have no relationship to whatsoever and work to find something about myself 
in it. Right. And so it can really go these multiple directions of how I'm relating to the piece, whether it be through my personal relationship with someone or my relationship with myself, um, let alone how I would present myself in a self-portrait opportunity, you know? Yeah. One of the uh, shows that I saw ages ago that I think about all the time is there was um, Olafur Eliasson at the Museum of Contemporary Art. And he, I forget it was the name, if it was the name of a show as a whole or the name of one of the pieces, but it was called Seeing Yourself Seeing. And it, there is an aspect which we learn a lot in, in mindfulness or in couples counseling or whatever your experience is, that when you are facing another person, whether it's the person themselves or it's their self-portrait or it's one of their artworks, right? It could be a ceramic bowl that was made by someone you know, right? When you are facing that other person, there is kind of an infinity mirror aspect, right? Where when it has that personal quality, you both are reflecting back and forth. And that's why like um, Catherine Eli, uh, I asked her, she and I had talked several months before this idea came to me and she said that she was doing her, um, her continuous line paintings on like reclaimed windows. And she had done, I think for her solo show at Side Street, she had done something on either glass or on a mirror. And just literally that aspect of like when you look at something and you can see yourself reflected in the glass, whether it's the frame, whether it's a mirror or something like that. It's like, it's like when you walk by a store window and you have to check out yourself, <laughs> you know, that there's an invitation and we take it immediately, right? And even if, you know, Kate Roberts' intention is not to, to you know, create sort of a mirror experience right the viewer is nevertheless going to see themselves in the glass and they're going to see their face superimposed on the face of the figure in the painting right and that alone to me is like i mean i could have done something super weird and just put a bunch of mirrors on one wall right <laughs> like that and my piece that i created does have an aspect of that but that complexity of seeing yourself, seeing the painting, being in this context, being in the gallery, all of those things, right? It just um, shakes you up a bit, I think. Yeah, it, I still find any representation of self from people to be just in, invigorating. I, 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 was, we, I took a group of kids to see the Frida show, you know, a few months ago and it was fascinating and tragic and beautiful and well done, but there was a piece that I'd never seen before. And I don't remember the name right now where she's holding a mask over. We're so familiar with the Frida face and she's holding a mask over her face and the <laughs> eyeballs coming through are so amazing, but it was shocking. It would, it just shocked me, you know, from this, very old piece of work in a museum setting, you know, and I, <gasps> I was shocked and went back to it so many times to keep trying to digest it. And it keeps popping into my head, but so simple and new ways of seeing a known entity or not can still 
shake it up a bit, whether it is walking as someone who teaches in dance studios all the time, I'm trying not to look in the mirror. I'm trying to get my students not to only focus on the mirror, but out when you're surrounded by mirrors, right? It's a, uh, it's, a, it's fascinating to think about just trying not to, <laughs> you know, look at your own representation. Um, and then within another representation as well, that those layers, I just, I love it. I love it about self-portraiture. I think what, you know, one of the things that I had put out to the artists when I was sort of like distilling all these ideas, right. And saying, this is what the show is about. Do you want to be a part of it? One of the things that I said to them was, um, you know, identity, right? The way that we compose ourselves from our appearance, our language, our actions, our, that reflecting that we do with other people, that bouncing back and forth. Identity is something that we perform for other people, right? So they have some understanding of who we are mm -hmm. so that we can determine whether it's a shared thing, whether we get along, whether it's worth investing in a relationship, right? But it's also something that we perform for ourselves, within ourselves, because perhaps you could think of it as almost a bolster against that changingness, right? And when we especially see artists who we're very familiar with, right? Like Frida's portraits, right? And they've created something that's surprising about themselves. I feel like that's a moment where it shifts, right? There's an aspect of like Frida creating these portraits, declaring to the world, this is who I am and this is what I'm about, right? And I don't know about a lot about her. I don't know about her body of work, right? So this is just more, more of a general commentary on self-portraiture. But creating that very distinct look, that very specific representation of oneself with consistency, right? That says, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. And then when you change that suddenly, that's where I imagine the performance flipped internal. And that piece, as I'm imagining it, right? was more of, a, of her talking to herself about who she is and what she's about, right? Of course, all speculation. I have no idea, right? I can't speak for Frida, right? But this is, this is one of the, um, the interesting aspects of any sort of identity representation, definitely self-portraiture, but things like how we dress, right? Things like how we speak. Um, a lot of, you know, culturally right now, a lot of very specific um, identities that people declare very proudly, whether it's, you know, gender, sexuality, mental illness diagnosis is a really big thing right now, especially with young people, as we are more, more widely gaining the language to describe our personal experiences, right? This is something that we declare to other people so that they can understand us but it also helps us to understand ourselves, right? So in one sense, how I dress, right, is just an arbitrary fabrication that doesn't really matter, right? But when I put on, <laughs> when I put on work pants versus sweatpants, right, that's so that I know what time it is and I know how I'm supposed to act. And that's the way it is with everything, right? That's, you know, it, it's interesting, like I hadn't really thought about um, clothing a lot, but, 
you know, I grew up Catholic and um, like all of the clergy wear uniforms that are all black, <laughs> you know? And so there's, and especially like, there's a lot of parallels between religion and modern, like minimalist movements, right? Having a daily uniform, Steve Jobs, you know, Karl Lagerfeld, whoever your icon is, right? Mm -hmm. Steve Jobs or Karl Lagerfeld, those are your only yeah. two options. <laughs> um, but, you know, or Zuckerberg, whoever, right? <laughs> but this, like, this idea of having a uniform, of presenting yourself a certain way, right? That says, um, I'm a serious person. And I don't deal with frivolous stuff like fashion, right? Like it's more important to me to spend my time and my mental energy on this versus that, right? And that's what we're doing constantly, you know, whether it's the way we act and speak, whether it's the way we dress, you know, all of those things, they have perhaps that bouncing mirror effect. We create it inside and it goes both outside and inside. I, early on in Side Street, um, people talk to Tanner more than they talk to me. And if I was alone in the space, I had to be like, I can answer your questions because I know it all too. And I would innately, especially if it was a man who was being a little more gruff, I would innately roll up my sleeves to show my tattoos. Like I did, it took like three times of doing it to be like, what's happening here with that. And I'm like, clearly I need to show that I can handle getting a tattoo. So if I can handle wow. that, I can handle you, you know, and it took a few times to then like admit it to Tanner and be like, so I was doing this thing and I'm now self-conscious about it, you know, but just something like, all right, I'm going to roll up my sleeves while you talk to me just, you know, and I still, I'll still think about that and be like, listen, you insecure little brat, like what in the world? Well, that's, that's such a perfect example. And first of all, first of all, because you barely realized you were doing it right. right? Like you, you're just like, this is something that's happening right now, but that's such a perfect example because again it's that bouncing right it's that self-reflective yeah. thing someone is telling you who you are right and so then it's your job to say no this is actually the case right yeah. <laughs> well there's a thing too in um in fundraising which i did for a while um for youth outlook and lgbtq uh social service agency where um, it's called mirroring, right? And we know this like from all different sorts of fields and everything, but I was, I was at a conference and I was learning from this uh, professional fundraiser for, um, for Harvard. She did all the like endowment fundraising, which is crazy, right? Because you're talking to like tech people and you're talking to like old farts who graduated 50 years ago and like all of these people, right? And so she said, one of the things that she does is she always dresses how the other person dresses, mm. you know, because the, the goal is to create a relationship. So she says like, if she goes to meet, you know, and to, to, um, to request a donation from like an old dude, right. A very like old school, traditional guy, she will never wear pants. And if she goes to meet, you know, like the, the woman who is this, and who gave a big donation to the modern art museum, she wears her colors and her funky jewelry, yeah. you know, like all of these yeah. sorts of things yeah. where it's like, this is how we're going to relate to each other. <laughs> so beautifully manipulative, manipulative. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it too, in other circumstances, oh. like it's oh. a tool, it's available. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what are we going to see from you in this show? Oh, geez. So all the ideas that I had at the beginning for the solo show, I'm like, 
this is uh, not necessary for me to fill a bunch of space. Um, and I want to let other people shine and not make it be about uh, my thing. But I did make two pieces. Um, one of them, my sister, who is also in the show, her first time showing at Side Street. Um, she's doing a really, really interesting, wild installation along the back center wall. Um, she gave me a big pile of expired Polaroid film. And so I've created, um, I call it an assemblage. It's some sort of collage sculpture type of thing um, from those just blank, unexposed, crappily chemical filled <laughs> Polaroid films. And I also created a small floral sculpture um, that's, I don't think will tell a strong story to anyone, but it's actually a quite, uh, it's actually representative of a, of a quite difficult time I had this year regarding uh, a physical health issue. And so uh, again, another example, right, of this is me saying something about myself, right? It, it's a way for me to tangibly express something that I'm thinking and feeling. But almost, I mean, like guaranteed, no one's going to get the whole backstory just from looking at it, right? It, it doesn't matter because it was a thing that I did to explain my own identity and my own questions. As part of the installation, which it sounds like you already have ideas and will be, you know, not handing over to Chris in the gallery, but, you know, handling. He gets, uh, he gets to do the boring stuff, like hang this <laughs> at 60 inches. Like. Right, right. Um, <laughs> Are you, will there be consideration of communicating with the audience on top of just a label? It, you know, is there going to be more discussion around that or are we just going to have labels and artwork? There are a few artists who have decided to um, create a statement or a narrative. Um, a toy Spates, who also works with Polaroid Emulsion Lifts, created a really weird, interesting um, sculpture where she lifted the Polaroid images and placed them onto pieces of glass. And so that's going to be really interesting. There's a lot of, coincidentally, there's a lot of media that have, that each artist has come to from different directions. Hmm. Polaroids, glass, all you know, hmm. reflective, that type of thing. Um, but she's created a statement with that. Um, and there are some communications and things but there there will be a lot of ambiguity and that option for you to just sort of see what your experience is and there's a performative element as well isn't there at the opening yes the the opening reception is friday december 3rd and um as part of you know in order to support these artists and ship artwork and so forth from other states and other locations um, we got a grant from the Elgin Cultural Arts Commission. And with a little bit of extra money that was available in that, I asked Jordan Reinwald, who was in town for the Going Dutch Festival, to come and do a performance at the um, opening reception. And the reason that uh, her work came to mind, you know, we had talked during the Going Dutch Festival a lot about you know, identity and we had had a little mixer where all the artists got together and, you know, we're able to share our stories and talk about challenges and things. And Jordan's work um, in circus arts, particularly with mime and marrying that with um, different sort of dance forms um, was really interesting because just on the surface, right, mime is a very interesting question of self-ishness, <laughs> right? Um, but her personal story with her mind character that she's worked with over the years 
over many, many, many years has really had a lot of transformation. And so every time she performs this mime piece, um, it's very different and it has a very different personal context and reflection for her. So she and her husband, who's also a circus artist, are going to be performing a brief piece at the opening reception. I have no idea what it is and I'm so excited to see it. I am too. If, for, if you've listened to Connected before, you can go back a couple months and find a short chat with Jordan about her time here as one of the artists in residence for Going Dutch and the kind of culminating moment of her performance um, during in June when she was here. We were in the alley next to the gallery at Side Street and she, to close her performance, took the long walk all the way up the alley to 25 you know to the next street up there and it was just like every step was a heart <laughs> wrench given the performance ahead and i just could not stop watching all the way up with the with this beautiful song she was singing and i just really enjoyed watching her process unfold and then the performance was such a great payoff so i'm, I'm really excited that that she and her husband will be back and we get to see a performance there I'm, I'm glad that we were able to include a performative element because, you know, as we've been talking about, right, literally just performance, performing identity, appearance, that type of thing. But also it just gives a little bit of life, right, to the, to the space and to the experience of the, the collection as a whole. Um, that's one of the things that I was conscious of and one of the reasons why I reached out to different media, uh, artists in different media, and especially Jamie working in textile, is that, um, you know, a big gallery full of photos is great, but um, there's so much more to this compositional aspect of building that identity, that having something, having something softer, having something reflective, glass, movement, there's a ceramic piece, there's all sorts of things happening. You know, it's, it's not refreshing to hear because <laughs> that's not refreshing. <laughs> no, just <laughs> you are in no way refreshing. <laughs> it, it, I wasn't say it's not refreshing because it is exactly how I feel. So it's not, it's not refreshing to hear, but for many years and for many events, we like to have multiple disciplines and mediums in one space. And the, you know, the line is it tricks you into having to watch some dance if you happen to be in the space or it tricks you into looking at photography while you're waiting for your dancer to perform, you know, and, and that is half joking. Um, but but we love having live music in the gallery because, you know, those folks are there to see the music and inevitably between bands look at the artwork and have done that so often. But once in a while, we'll get pushback from I don't want a performance to distract from my visual art. I don't want the visual art to distract from my performance, you know, and it, it, we can understand in some cases and others. But um, I love it when they can intermingle in, uh, you know, a, a thoughtful and, and what I assume will be successful way. So it's just really exciting that we're thinking about these things in all dimensions, you know, versus just the, the art on the white walls. Yeah, I definitely get that, um, you know, as a person who thinks about the experience of the thing, right? Like, oh, this needs to be in front of a blank wall or like this needs to be in this, the, this needs to have more room around it, something like that. Um, but I think Side Street, like one of the reasons that Side Street is so great is that um, like there's just so much experimentation 
and exploration. And I've gone to so many galleries in small towns and cities where it's like just a gallery trying to be a big city gallery. Yeah. You know, and they're selling $20,000 paintings and they're doing the wine and cheese thing. And it's like, that might work, right? Like in a certain small town where there's a lot of, you know, rich retirees or whatever, <laughs> like that might, that might be the ticket, but there are so many opportunities to do other things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when, when's this all happening? <laughs> <laughs> I'm only thinking about tomorrow, so I don't know. What <laughs> right. Right. So we're recording this a couple days before Thanksgiving. Um, and, uh, there's already lots of artwork in my living room. So it's <laughs> happening soon. The show opens on Friday, December, it's December 3rd. The opening reception is at six and Jordan's going to perform at six 30. And then we're running through um, the month until Side Street closes for the holidays. But in addition to the opening reception, that following day on Saturday, we have a kids workshop. Chris is going to do creative self-portraits, um, which I'm really excited about. In fact, one of our artists is going to bring her kids to come do that and experience her art and make their own work. And then, as I mentioned, that Sunday, December 5th, uh, Brian Garbrecht is teaching um, the technique that he and a toy spades are using, which is Polaroid emulsion lifts. So the show will run in the gallery through Sunday, December 19th, and gallery hours are Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays, and they're actually expanded right now for the holiday season. So um, Maid will be open a little bit longer, and while you're shopping Maid, you can make sure you check out the beautiful exhibit in the gallery as well. Um, so you have a few weeks to do that if you can't make it to the opening. Um, you said, what time did you say Jordan is going to perform-ish? 6.30. So it'll give you a little bit of time to grab a drink and look around and then find a nice cozy spot to hopefully not get kicked or, or anything like that during <laughs> the dance. That's the best part about dance in the gallery. You might get kicked. And I love it's like, it so much. It's like the best part about opera is like sometimes you get spat on, yeah, right? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. Just as a friendly reminder, if, if I need to find you about still life or your artwork or anything like that, where can we find you? Yeah. So I teach meditation in downtown Elgin, just a block away from side street at still life meditation, stilllifemeditation.net. And you can learn more about me and what I do at re maylycom and we'll see you all at the show, not this Friday, but next Friday. Rachel, thank you. Have a lovely week and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Erin. See you soon. Thank you everyone for joining us and stay connected. Connected is a Side Street Studio Arts production. Music by Tanner Melvin. Produced by Nick Mataragas. To find out more about Connected and all the great things Side Street Studio Arts offers, please visit sidestreetstudioarts.org.